Hey, welcome back um, to the Model Parenting Podcast. Uh, this is David and Farah Isbell. Say hello, Farah. Hello, Farah. <laughs> nice. So funny. Um, hey, we were gone uh, for a little bit. We had a, a little bit of a family issue we had to take care of. Some extended family needed some care. And we had to um, be gone and out and take care of some, some needs. So... Uh, we weren't able to get recorded last week, so it's been a little bit since we put a, an episode out. So uh, if you guys are still with us, thanks. Uh, if you're not, then you'll never know I said thanks anyway, so it's fine. Um, we did want to say um, how significant our values were as we went through that ordeal with this family member. Um, I think it, it guarded and— I don't and, think it was an ordeal, but, but just right. the decisions, all the decisions that were required in it. It was very helpful to have those values already put in place. Right. So the there wasn't any tension between Farah and I as we were making decisions about how to care for this family member, and um, that that was strictly based off of our values. So um, the only reason to bring it up is just our next episode. We're going to start getting into the values um, as we finish up the worldview stuff today. Um, but just just wanted to reiterate that and show you that it's not just about parenting. It really is kind of influences every aspect of our life and all of our decisions get filtered through our value system and the model that we're, we're trying to create. Um, so just wanted to, to throw that plug in there because it's very fresh and new and, and specifically the, the reason we weren't able to re- record um, got filtered through that system. Right. Recording was not right. above those priorities that were already set in place by our values. And and so. then the values helped make the, the best decision, I think, for our family and uh, the the family members that were involved. So, but this episode, episode ten, I uh, don't really have a cool, catchy title. Um, we're just going back through worldview. Uh, I mentioned last week or last episode that there were there were five worldview questions, and we went through two of them: um, authority and reality. Uh, and if you haven't heard that, feel free to drive back and listen. Um, if you didn't like that one, then you can skip this one because no, it's, I thought authority and humanity was last. One. It was authority and oh yeah, it was. It was authority and humanity. I'm sorry. I misspoke. Um, but we did get some really funny text messages from the last episode yes, from a lot of you guys about me telling you you could skip episodes and uh, appreciate those comments. We chuckled. It was we did. It was fun and entertaining. So, um, But this week, uh, we're going to talk about um, three different questions. Uh, the questions are, um, how do I determine right and wrong? Um, how do I determine what is real? And what is the purpose of my existence? So those are the three questions that we're going to tackle uh, and again, this worldview component, um, we talked about circles and those concentric circles and worldview is that center piece. Fair and I wanted to, in our model, build our kids towards a biblical worldview. We wanted to instill that in them, kind of like Mr. Miyagi taught Daniel how to do karate without teaching him how to do karate. That's the same concept and idea. We wanted to teach them a biblical worldview without sitting down and explaining to them what a biblical worldview was. So that was our goal and our aim as we started to structure our values, we wanted them to be rooted in a biblical worldview. So that's why we're going through these worldview questions and trying to help you understand a a biblical perspective of worldview and maybe where some of our actions don't necessarily line up with what we would want to do based on a biblical worldview. But we'll we'll get through all that as we get into values and the behavior, the outer portion of that circle. Um, So... We're just going to dive right in. Uh, First question, um, we're going to try to make this quick and get through these. The reason these are kind of paired together is they're a little bit um, easier 
um, answers to talk through. But um, worldview question, the first one we're talking about tonight is how do I determine right and wrong? So um, the the conversation kind of goes, do, do I determine what's right and wrong for me? Is there an objective standard? Is each individual able to do that on their own and say, hey, what's right for me is right for me, what's right for you is right for you. Um, and the issue is, is that starts to fall apart fairly quickly. Um, and we're going to look at a scripture, and I think, Farah, if you can pull that up for us. I didn't ask you to do it before we started. Uh, Matthew chapter 4, verses 1 through 11. We're going to look at Jesus' temptation and try to get some understanding of how Jesus filtered right and wrong um, and, and what he used as a um, resource and response to to say definitively this is right or this is wrong. Jesus had the objective standard of, of um, Scripture and what he understood about his deity and his connection to God and, and the Spirit. So um, we're, we're going to process through that so maybe we can start to understand how we can determine right and wrong as through a biblical perspective. So, Farrah, can you read Matthew chapter 4, verses 1 through 11, please? Then Jesus was led up by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. And after fasting forty days and forty nights, he was hungry. And the tempter came and said to him, If you are the Son of God, command these stones to become loaves of bread. But he answered, It is written, Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. Then the devil took him to the holy city and set him on the pinnacle of the temple and said to him, If you are the Son of God, throw yourself down, for it is written... He will command his angels concerning you, and on their hands they will bear you up, lest you strike your foot against a stone. Jesus said to him, Again it is written, You shall not put the Lord your God to the test. Again the devil took him to a very high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their glory. And he said to them, All these I will give you if you will fall down and worship me. Then Jesus said to him, Be gone, Satan, for it is written, You shall worship the Lord your God, and him only shall you serve. Then the devil left him, and behold, angels came and were ministering to him. Okay, so we see three different um, temptations here. Um, The stones to the bread, um, the angelic protection, and then that Satan would give him all the kingdoms. Um, And Satan was specifically targeting three different things um, for Jesus. And in a couple of these, he even used scripture against Jesus. So Mm -hmm. how did Jesus determine what was the right response and the right action to take there versus sinning and making the wrong choice? So in the stones to bread, um, Satan was essentially testing him with self-gratification. Okay, Jesus knew through his fasting and, and he was hungry, but Jesus, Satan was telling Jesus, hey, you need to gratify yourself in this. And this is the same temptation that we face in a multitude of areas. And Jesus immediately responded with Scripture and said, hey, this is the right answer. This is what I know from the Scriptures now. The, the New Testament wasn't available at this point. These, these Scriptures that he's referring to are all Old Testament Scriptures. Um, but Jesus knew them, and they were a part of his being, and he, he understood them in a way that he was able to believe the truth that was stated there. It says, hey, I can't gratify myself. God's plan is better. God's plan for how he's going to sustain me and feed me and make my body go is better than what I can do myself. So Jesus' response was scripture. Same thing in the angelic protection. 
the enemy uses scripture and says, hey, the Bible says, scripture says you're protected. You can't get hurt. So throw yourself off here and use that protection that you've got. This is a self-protection that the enemy is trying to make him use in sin and use his um, um, testing as a, a way to display his self-protection, but still fall under the command of the enemy. And, and we get tested in this self-preservation. I mean, our reputations, our safety, our children's safety, all of those things, that preservation, the enemy tests us with it all the time. And, and is our response the same? He said, hey, man, God said this. God said, don't test him. Don't, don't do that. Do we trust God with the preservation of ourselves and our kids because, and our parents. And our parents, because because Scripture tells us to. Because Scripture tells us that that God is more concerned and loves our children even more than we do. The, the Bible teaches us those things. Last thing, all the kingdoms, he's saying, look, here's a path to avoid the cross. You don't have to do that. I'll give you all the kingdoms of the world. I'll let you be the ruler of all of them. Just worship me. Bow down to me, and I'll give it all to you. This is that self-exaltation, saying that I'm important and I have this um, right to be respected and right to lead. And we get tested with that all the time. I mean, that is a, a common occurrence, particularly in our culture, that we, we self-exalt a lot, uh, particularly on social medias. And there's a lot of the whole selfie culture of what we live in. This self-exaltation to where we can avoid the work of, of being uh, a servant, the work of uh, submitting ourselves to the authority of God, we can be important and significant if we just do things our way. And again, Jesus responded with Scripture and then told Satan to get away because he wasn't going to fall for his junk. But what we see in all three of these is that Jesus has a view that is consistent with God's revealed truth. And that's that's where we want to camp out on a biblical worldview and how we determine right and wrong is God's revealed truth. So it, it he didn't he didn't look into the New Testament even though he knew it because he was writing it. He looked into the Old Testament and things that God had already revealed and showed and said these are the answers that I want people to follow. So if if God has revealed truth to you in that area, you don't have to pray about it. It it's already there. If God has revealed the truth through his scripture or through uh, teachings that you've been or even through previous answers of prayer, that's God's revealed truth, and that becomes a benchmark and a book booking for where we determine right and wrong. I would like to add, though, that going back to him, seeking him with every with everything is the best choice, just like with, you know, with Moses and and doing things based on what he'd already experienced with God, that's not always the best. Like a lot of times that is good, but it is it is always wise to check him, check in with him on each thing. Right. And and I'm not talking about trying to get caught up in the minutiae of every action to determine if it's sinful and say, Oh my is this sinful, is this no, we just try to act in a manner that is consistent with God's revealed truth on a daily basis. Right. Which is why we check in with God every. You have that quiet time. You spend time with God. You pray. You read Scripture. 
you we are educated far beyond the um, place of our obedience. We know more about Scripture than we do. We we have have sat in more sermons and had more stuff. We don't act on the truth that we know, yes. and we look for answers of self gratification or self preservations, and we make exceptions and we um, justify. Oh well, I'm going to do it this way this time because you know it, it's just going to be easier. And that, that's not what God God wants us to walk and act in His revealed truth to us. Um, now, if we were doing a small group with you, we would do a case study on Joshua chapter 2. We're not doing a small group with you because you're listening to this on a podcast. Mm-hmm. If you want to do a case study on Joshua chapter 2, we'll meet with you, your small group, whatever. We can have a conversation and talk about what that looks like. But how do I determine right and wrong? Short and simple answer from a biblical worldview says, I would determine right and wrong by God's revealed truth. That is the objective standard outside of myself that I use to determine right and wrong. Now, outside of my best friend. Outside of my best friend. Now, some of us would say, well, the the law, the laws that are in place in my country, those are an objective standard. Those are outside of myself. They, they are. And a lot of those laws are formed from Ten Commandments in Scripture but have been changed and modified um, to fit societal norms. But that's not how a biblical worldview says, okay, I want to consider the law. Well, that, that's not necessarily the starting point. Yeah, that's part of it, sure. But the starting point is God's revealed truth. And if laws, particularly in our country, if we start to see laws pull us away from God's revealed truth, we as Christians need to be able to say, you know what, I, I can't follow that law. There are several instances in Scripture where you see um, different people disobey laws from of kings the of the mm-hmm. laws of the land because it did not coincide with God's revealed truth, what they knew about God and what God had taught them about himself. So biblical worldview, again, we wanted our kids to understand this. So I didn't want them. We don't have a lot of rules in our house. We don't um, rule by uh, or parent by rule and say, okay, do this, don't do this, do that. We, we set our values up, and our values were based on God's revealed truth and taught our kids about God's revealed truth so that they have parameters and how they can make decisions without having to go through a checklist of rules, um, which allows us to have a different type of relationship than always enforcing rules. So um, you got anything you want to add to that one? I mean, just coming from being raised with two households, it was it was hard a lot of times because what was right in one household was not wrong, but which is different than what was right in the other household. And so it would get, you know, kind of confusing. And then as I started to to step into parenting, I had both of these, (laughs) both versions coming into my head. And so I really had to begin to weigh what is a preference and what is based on God's revealed truth for right. Right. And And there, there are a lot of times that we determine what is right and wrong based on our preference or based on some moral code, which I'm not saying is bad, or based on what our personal choices or someone else's personal choices are, and we define those as right and wrong. And I don't think that that's accurate. I think what we should be doing as Christians and what we're trying to do with our parents, our children and teach them to do is determine it based off of God's revealed truth. Yes. What we have come to understand about God, 
through scripture and teachings and, and those things. So um, next question, we're going to keep trying to move. Um, how, how do I determine what is real? Now, most of you sitting out there, maybe uh, if I can touch, taste, see, sense, you know, the five senses, if I can smell it, it's real. Like that's, that's how we determine what's real. And um, kind of the, the question or idea that this is really asking is an acknowledgement of the physical versus the spiritual. So yes, the five senses, there's a physical reality that we live in, but there's also a spiritual reality that we live in. So um, the idea, we watch a lot of movies in our house. We've talked about that. Um, we just watched Sing 2 last night with our, our, our daughter um, while the boys were out doing some other stuff. And um, I heard several years ago that in order to enjoy a movie, whether it's a, an action film like a, a Marvel movie or a DC movie or any of those kind of things, that when we sit in that movie for two hours, we suspend belief. What that means is that we just we kind of sit in a place of make-believe and say, okay, yes, um, there really are superheroes. Yes, there really are animals that can talk and sing and put on this amazing production and build all those things that we saw and sing too. And that's we suspend. We don't sit there the whole time and say, that's not real. Koalas not real. stay awake that long. Koalas stay awake that long, right? <laughs> um, but we don't, we don't sit there the whole time and say, yep, plot hole, that's not real. Not real. Oh, nope. People can't really fly. Oh, nope, 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 nope. They don't have that kind of strength. Nope. No one's really going to turn into a big green monster. That's impossible. We don't do that. In order to enjoy the movie, you have to suspend belief. And I think a lot of times in uh, Western culture, particularly in our, in our Christian culture, when we walk into a, a spiritual environment like church or um, some kind of conference or something like that, I think in those moments we suspend belief. I think we say, yes, there's a God, and he's living, and he's active, and he's real. And when we're sitting in those environments, we believe that God is moving in our life, and we suspend that belief for whatever period of time we're in that. But I think when we get out of that environment and we get back to the realities, that we don't live in the supernatural existence of the spiritual realm. Suspension. Don't live we, we don't live in that suspension. We don't live that that those things are real. Um, I think that's why, as when we were working as youth pastors out in Seattle, um, we had that. You've always got that camp experience, and everybody gets really close to God and and gets really connected. And you go to that mountaintop, and they always talk about the mountaintop experience. And then you come back down, and and it's gone, and you lose it. Well, I think while we were on the mountaintop, everybody believes you kind of suspend belief for that retreat for those two or three days while you're hanging out with youth pastors and you're singing worship music every day. And you suspend belief that, yes, God is living and he's here, he's doing it. And then we get back into our daily life and we're like, uh, I don't really believe those things as much. And it's not that your belief fades as much as you just don't live in that suspended reality that God is, you don't acknowledge the spiritual existence of what God is doing. So how do I define what is real? I think we've got to get beyond our five senses and live in a understanding of um, the spiritual realm that's going on. Fair's looking for 1 Corinthians chapter 2. We're not going to read it right now, um, but I'm encouraging you to go read 1 Corinthians chapter 2. And what Paul does is he's talking about how the Spirit the Holy Spirit brings us wisdom and helps us respond and act and move in certain ways that are consistent with the heart of God. And 
Go ahead. Can I just read this one verse? You can read that one verse. Feel First free. 1 Corinthians 2, 5 especially says, So that your faith might not rest in the wisdom of men, but in the power of God. Right. That's a great summary of what Paul is teaching in that um, passage to the Corinthians. Um, and I think, I may be wrong, I think Paul was going back and forth with the Corinthians because there was some other teachers and like some super apostles and they were telling him, hey, you're not a super. And Paul was like, dude, this is embarrassing. Y'all, there, there is no super apostle. Here's the deal. The Spirit does. I don't, I'm, yes, I don't speak as well as those guys. I don't do all that stuff amazing like they do. But the Spirit is what does all this. And he's the, the, the Holy Spirit is who gives me the power to teach you and you the power to understand and you the power to teach. And then it's all the same. Spirit does all that. Um, so Paul, in his response to um, the, the, I think the Corinthians were looking for something real and they thought, okay, hey, this is more real because it's better words and it's more polished. That's more real than what you teach, Paul. And Paul's saying, no, the reality is the spirit. There's a spiritual realm that's going on, and the same spirit's in all of it. It's The spirit is moving and doing what God wants to do, his will in humanity. That's what Jesus gave us was the spirit, and the spirit's doing all the work. We're just part of it. It doesn't matter. So when we look at what is real and we start to shape our values, because, again, worldview shapes our values, and where we're going is values, and I know we've taken 10 episodes to get there. But our value, if our values don't acknowledge and understand that there is a spiritual realm, that if, if there is a reality beyond what we can sense with our five senses, I think we will miss some of who God has intended us to be. In turn, our children will miss some of who God intends them to be. Do you have anything you want to add to that one? Just a practical one for me was including them and I know Deuteronomy we talked about this a little bit but just that bringing him with us on our walks bringing him with us in our play bringing him with us in all the things that we do in our entertainment in our work in our everything and not just having him in 20 minutes a day or on Sunday but then also getting away from saying the phrase Bible story mm-hmm. and and using Bible event or Bible account um, because it's to histori- help them we don't we don't say history story exactly <laughs> when you're studying a history book <laughs> right but it's historical it's real right. it happened it it's happened. not some imaginary character and, and talking about the Bible uh, acknowledging its historical accuracy you know relevant like yes that right. it actually happened and what Farrah was and has been great at with our children um, way more so than I was was bringing the spirit into those interactions with our kids as they were younger and prayerfully entering a playtime with them, prayerfully entering a um, conflict with them that she, and, and even acknowledging it to our kids, hey, this is the this is the spirit, this is the Bible, this is the truth, this is, she's done that very well, and, and I'm not trying to build her up to say she's the most holy, perfect person in the world that is not, we're not the model. No. Nothing we do is the model, but I, I will... Um, but he's ready to jump into those real moments. He wants to be there. Right. So, and, and Farrah was very sensitive to that as she has done a lot of the raising of our children with the daily interactions and things. So um, so how do I define what is real? Um, we, we define real as there is a real spiritual realm. Yes, the physical senses, there is a physical reality, but there is a spiritual reality. And understanding that spiritual reality um, that, that's a significant question and hurdle to get over as you're building your 
worldview that's going to help shape your values. So um, last question um, that we're going to consider just to, to get through some of this stuff for the podcast um, is what is the purpose of my existence? And um, I'm going to pause here and say, I don't um, hear my heart on this. I don't mean to speak um, uh, negatively or, or make you think that I'm, I'm coming down here. There's any kind of condemnation in what I'm saying, but I, I think our church culture and particularly Western culture has overstated the individuality of purpose. And I, I say this from working with teenagers, teenagers, a lot of times are, they got caught up in my purpose, my purpose was my, and they define that as like my job. What am I supposed to do to go to college? What am I supposed to do to go be, what am I supposed to go to work? What is my, who am I going to marry? All that's my, my purpose. The self exaltation gets really intertwined in this. If we're not careful, right. I think we just have to be, we have to be on guard and ask for the Holy Spirit to help us because it can quickly take over. Right. So, um, but I, I think we end up in, in Christian culture, end up making purpose about fulfillment, that we're trying to be fulfilled in this life or find um, significance in this life. And I, I think we get off track of what purpose is. And I have. Just I have, and uh, again, one of going back to a book that many of you have probably read, and if you haven't, I encourage you to read it. It's not a resource this week, but um, the Purpose Driven Life that got put out. Gosh, I mean, it's probably twenty, twenty-five years ago. Um, Rick Warren from Saddleback Church in uh, California wrote it. Huge bestseller for years. Fantastic book. The very first line of the book is, "It's not about you." That. But a lot of people skip that one. A lot of they people skip, skip that, that sentence. <laughs> they skip that. Or they get through all the rest of it and they forget it's not about you. Right. The reality is your purpose is not about you. It's not about your quest for fulfillment. And a lot of times we, we throw this spiritual tone on what my purpose is and all we're really doing is trying to justify what we want to do with our life and why this job is more significant from that job. Part of <laughs> when I was a pastor at a church um, – I was I was talking to somebody and and so I don't remember how it came up, but a ministry friend we knew was moving on and being being called. I'm using air quotes called to another job, and I asked the question. I'm like, how come nobody ever gets called to a job where you make less money? Like, how is that? How come you never get called to a smaller job? <laughs> Why is calling always upward? And I think part of this Western culture, we get called upwardly mobile in our Western culture that we get called to a bigger church or a better paying job or from a youth pastor to a senior pastor or a teaching. I mean, it was never called from a senior pastor to a youth pastor. Nobody ever goes that way. Like that's not how, that's not how the church trend goes. So um, it was just funny to me that we would say, oh, hey, God has called me to this job or this location. And we've already talked about calling um, and, and I've already stepped on your toes about that. So I'm not going to do it again. But purpose is not about you. Purpose is understanding how God wants to move through your life to impact humanity. So as you are thinking through worldview and what your purpose is, if your purpose is going to be defined by a location or a job or some um, just focused around you, I think you're going to miss 
the purpose. Um, one of our values, actually, um, as Farron and I started to do this, is God's purpose. That's our very first value. And um, the very first thing we wanted our kids to know and understand as we were building this system and this model is it ain't about you. We, we wanted them to live in a world that they knew it wasn't about them, that it was about God and his purpose moving through humanity and displaying himself to humanity. So that's, that's the greatest lesson. If my kids can understand that it's not about them, if they leave my house or move on in their life and they understand it's not about them and they can lay down themselves for the greater good of humanity, then I think I've for done for the glory of God. Sorry, for the glory of God. Then I think they're going to be able to live and function at a high level in life. So, um, but I said uh, several episodes ago that how you view God, how you connect with God, um, the lens at, at which you relate to God, is your worldview. This is where that really comes out. So, um, Farah and I, in as we've done this small group a couple times we would define our um, our purpose as God connecting through relationship and understanding God through rela- It was a very relational bias because Farah and I connect to God most accurately as father, relationally. That's, that's our bend that God has built and put us. But if you view God more as a provider or a healer or uh, many of the other attributes of God, that is going to play into how you understand purpose. Because if God is is a provider, then part of your purpose is going to be provision and how you're going to glorify God through your ability to provide because he gives you the ability to provide. So the way you relate to God most significantly is going to show up here in this question about what is the purpose of my existence. So if you don't, if you don't know God or haven't connected with God and you're listening to this podcast, I, I think as you start to understand more about who he is and what you most relate to and connect to, I think you're going to see how the purpose of your life reflects that. Did you want to add something? Farrah's nodding I'm sorry. In, in agreement. I need to be, yes, I agree. I agree. <laughs> um, I need to be more verbal about my agreement, but I do think as you sit with him and you you listen for him to tell you what he has actually poured into you, then you start to see what his purpose is. Um, and the, and then as you sit with your kids and you're like, what has he poured into to you? What what do you you know? It, it's really neat to watch the way that he has created and 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 bent certain people for certain things, and what he's going to do that for his glory not for our glory because it's not about us it's not about us and if your purpose includes anything about i'm doing this because of me if it's focused on you and your advancement it's not necessarily a biblical worldview of purpose which i have done which i have done and and please don't hear that as condemnation this is a um again we got some of these things wrong as we were wrestling with these worldview questions it started to flip because i would tell you my purpose was to work in ministry. I would tell you my purpose was to lead groups of kids and my purpose was to connect people to God. And some of that plays into it, but it wasn't for the glory of God. It was for the fulfillment that I wanted in this individualistic approach. So, all right, those are the three questions that finish up those five questions from 
authority, humanity, um, how to determine right and wrong, how to determine what's real, and what's the purpose of my existence. So, um, what do you what, what do we do from here? Um, very simply, um, I would encourage you have a and and many of you probably haven't read the book and. Um, uh, I would love for you to text me. If you have that book, text me, email me, call me, whatever. Tell me that, text me a picture of it that you got it because that would be really encouraging to know that you're reading that book and chewing through it. And I will pray for you because it is a very chewy read. Um, but um, talk through, at a minimum, talk through these questions with your spouse. Which book you didn't tell us? That's the thing, like Jesus' book we okay. talked about on the last episode. Okay, but you haven't said it. They all knew what I was talking about. They did. Okay. Think um, like Jesus by think George like Barna. Jesus by George Barna. That's the resource again this week. So I'm not giving you another resource. Just if you want to know more about worldview, read Think Like Jesus from George Barna. Um, but at a minimum, take these five questions. Go on a date night um, and talk through them and try to understand honestly and authentically how you answer those questions. Because as Farron and I did that, particularly with this purpose one. She and I realized that the way we define purpose probably wasn't accurate. Um, and we needed to redefine our purpose with an understanding of it's about God and it is not about us. Um, so same thing with what is real, that she, she and I lived in a day-to-day life that was very acknowledged the physical very easily. And, and we acknowledged that reality, but we didn't acknowledge the spiritual. We didn't wake up in the morning and acknowledge the spiritual realm that there was going to be spiritual battles that were fought and waged that day that our kids were going to be sitting in that they were completely oblivious to. We didn't live in that reality. So talk through these questions and and look for those scriptures and those things that are going to support and encourage you in a biblical worldview. It will pay huge dividends in this next phase as we step into how to actually establish your values as a family and build the model that the values are those guardrails to drive you towards that picture of what you want your family to be. Um, so that is my encouragement for what I want you to do. Um, if you look for something to do, um, but if this worldview stuff doesn't connect with you, fine, uh, move on to the next episode and we're going to start talking about values and uh, let the, the rubber meet the road on what that is. So, uh, Fair, you got an activity for us tonight? Our connection activity is to read The Velveteen Rabbit. Again, I don't care how old you are. Um, <laughs> read The Velveteen Rabbit. It has some great examples. Read of, it to your kids, right? Well, I don't know. Read it Read it to yourself and then read it to your kids. Um, okay. But really for for yourself, like I love this sentence that you have typed out right here. There will be seasons that we are not in a place where we are happy and God is achieving his purpose through us. And there are several examples of that in in that story for the the rabbit where there's some really serious days where he's not happy. Um, But it it takes him to to real. And um, I think that's very similar to our walk with God. There are going to be days where we are not happy, but he is doing mighty work. Mm -hmm. So uh, we have actually in our um, house, if you ever come over, we have a canvas of the Velveteen Rabbit, um, a page out of the Velveteen Rabbit, and it's talking about what is real. But it, it's in there because of our values and this biblical worldview. And it's trying, in there because of a group of girls. But. Trying to help our kids and, and students that Farah has read to over our life. 
understand what is real. Um, so it's, it's a great book that uh, tackles a pretty tough question in, in what is real. And so it's, it's just, it's a good read. But yes, it is a fairy tale. Like it's not a, I mean, it's, it's, not not a, a, it's not a real It account. is not an account. There's not a real rabbit, Velveteen <laughs> Rabbit, that talks and, and engages with people. So, All right, so that's what we got for um, episode 10. That will wrap up our worldview conversation. Uh, next episode, we're going to dive in and start working on your values, your, your family values. Um, so we will um, have some activities and some actions. We, we get kind of action-oriented from here, um, give you some things to do uh, on how to move into this model-driven environment, um, which will be driven by your values. So if you have any questions, comments, feel free to shoot us uh, an email. Um, Farron and I were talking about on the way up here about potentially getting a uh, Instagram or Twitter account or something like that so we can interact with some of you guys. Uh, you can email us and tell us which one you'd rather us to do. Or text us. Nope, just email us. Oh, okay. It's hilarious. Scratch that. Fair and I are old and we use email. I mean, I don't really, but whatever. Yeah, I do. Anyway, email is um, modelparentingpodcast at gmail.com uh, or you can text us or uh, whatever. We're from, you guys know how to get a hold of us if you want to. So, anyway, thanks for which listening. Which social media do you like? Or which social media do you like? Um, anyway, thanks for listening, and uh, we will hopefully catch you later on the next episode. Take care.